Hey, Chapel Street Church. I'm excited to talk to you about something called Rooted. Some of you already know about Rooted. It's been part of our church for a number of years now. Uh, several years ago, we were thinking and praying about, if you ask the average person who's part of Chapel Street what's next in their spiritual journey, we had a thousand different answers. And we felt like we needed one clear next step. And that's what Rooted has become. It's a 10-week journey through the gospel and scripture built around experiences. That's what makes it unique. It's not just study and filling in the blank answers. It's built around experiences through 10 weeks in community. There's a serve experience. There's a prayer experience. And these things combined in community help change people's lives. I've talked to many of you who have been deeply impacted by Rooted. Uh, some of you who are mature believers might be thinking, well, this is, I've already passed this. Not so. It's for you. If you're a brand new believer, it's for you. If you call Chapel Street your home and you're looking for the next step in your life with Christ in our community of faith, Rooted is exactly for you. We encourage you to take part in it. There's a new round of Rooted groups launching very soon. In, in fact, I've talked to so many people, one individual just recently who's been through it three times and said every time they learn something new. So I want to encourage you, if you call Chapel Street your home and you're feeling like God is moving you to take a next step in your faith in the new year, get involved in a Rooted group. Don't take my word for it. We want you to hear from those who've been part of it. This is our second time through Rooted. You probably learned more going through it with another group of people and uh, seeing new members of this new campus share their experiences, share their testimonies, growing in their faith. It's been my first Bible study, probably going to uh, change my opinion of future Bible studies just because it is so unique, so different. It's really reminded me that you know, you're loved for who you are. There's nothing you need to do in order to get that love. As I reflect back at significant moments in my Christian life, I had no idea Rooted would become so impactful. I've gained eight new deep relationships with people who were relatively strangers a few weeks before. Every week that I'm learning more and more, honestly blowing my mind as a philosophy nerd and just a science nerd, it's the coolest thing to realize that we get to have a personal relationship with the Lord of the universe. Well, as we look forward to this fall, uh, Rooted is a big part of that. And I want to um, personally just add my encouragement, if I can, to us as the Mill Creek community. If you've not been through Rooted, um, this is a great way, uh, as you heard some of them to say, to, to kind of get integrated even at another level into the life of the church. We're here at this campus. We're, our goal is to launch three Rooted groups this fall. We're recruiting leaders for that now. So that's our, our hope to be able to do that, um, which would enable us to have upwards of, of 30 to 35 people in the groups. Um, and we would love for you to be a part of that. If this is, um, if you haven't gone through it before, and sometimes even if you have, uh, this is a great way to connect. And, and I would love for you to prayerfully consider that. So we're going to be communicating more about this over the next couple of weeks. There'll be um, ways to get involved. If you see Pastor Joe here as well, in addition to uh, serving in kind of an associate role here at the Mill Creek campus, um, he also is our pastor of, of groups, and he would love to, to share more with you about this ministry and how to, to get plugged into it. Um, and of course, you can talk to me as well. How many of you this week uh, had the opportunity to watch any of the Field of Dreams game on Thursday night? Anybody, a few of you catch that? If you don't know what that is, uh, in 1989, Field of Dreams was a movie that was released about a guy building a baseball field 
in a uh, in a field in Iowa, and and it's basically like this way that he reconnects with his dad, and it's became kind of this classic movie. Well, the MLB they realize how much baseball fans love this movie, and so they have actually built out in that at the location where it was filmed. They've built a a um, regulation sized baseball field, and each year. Over the last two years, they'll have teams play each other. So this year it was the Chicago Cubs versus the Cincinnati Reds in this epic battle for last place in the NL Central. Like, <laughs> you didn't. And, uh, and one of the things that I love about the the Field of Dreams games is it has a tendency to kind of draw out so many of like baseball legends. In fact, uh, Nico Horner, who plays for the Cubs, was talking about this, and he's like something about how he said, "I looked to my right." And, and there's Johnny Bench, like the classic catcher. I grew up in Southern Ohio, like Johnny Bench was a legend there, still is a legend there. And he's like, I look to my left and there's Billy Williams and I'm just surrounded by baseball greatness. And he's, you know, this is a guy that's playing professional baseball and he's just overwhelmed by it all. And I brought a picture of Johnny Bench and Billy Williams together. This was taken on Thursday and um, and they, they, when you picture kind of baseball legends, like this is, these are the guys that you imagine, right? These are the guys that picture you can, I mean, obviously they're older now, but they were these incredible athletes, incredibly gifted in so many ways. They were strong and athletic. And so when you think about the heroes of the game, like you think about Johnny Bench and Billy Williams, you know, if I would have asked the original audience who who received the letter of Hebrews, the ones hearing this read for the very first time, if, if you were to hear them talk about who they imagined, who they pictured as the legends of their faith, I would venture to guess that they would have named many of the people that we've been talking about in Hebrews chapter 11. I, I think you would have heard them say people like Abel and Noah. They, did, they certainly would have talked about Abraham and Sarah. They would have talked about Joseph and Jacob and Moses was kind of like, I mean, Hebrews even makes a point that Jesus is the greater Moses, right? But I wonder, I wonder how many of them would have named Rahab. I wonder how many of them would would Rahab immediately have come to mind for them. Because in many ways, Rahab isn't someone when, when we Think of the categories that they most likely would have used when they thought about the legends of their faith. She doesn't fit those categories. They're they're, they're not, she doesn't have the things that, that Abraham and Sarah had, that Moses had. Rahab is mentioned eight times throughout Scripture, five in the Old Testament and and three in the New Testament by name. Of those eight times, five times it includes the the label of her profession with her name. She's designated as Rahab the prostitute, including here in Hebrews chapter 11. So on the one hand, we, we can acknowledge and recognize that from their perspective, she's probably maybe thought of as kind of a moral outsider. But I think it's also important to note that everybody we've looked at here in Hebrews chapter 11 has been morally flawed, right? Moses murdered the Egyptian. 
Abraham, not once, but twice, pretended that his wife was his sister so that another man could take her into his household. So, so none of them were perfect, but these things also haven't become their identity. Like we don't talk about Moses the murderer or Abraham the guy that keeps pretending that his wife is his sister. <laughs> but for whatever reason, Rahab has maintained this label. And I, I'm going to wonder out loud in a little bit here. I think there might be significance in this. But beyond being a moral outsider, I think perhaps even greater than that is that this is a Gentile Canaanite woman living among a group of people who were directly opposed to God and to the people of God. So it's, it's kind of from all angles. She is an unlikely hero, which is, is why I find her story to be so extraordinary and so compelling. See, Rahab stands out as an example to us as a type of faith that rewrites our stories. We just sing about that. And we need to learn. We need to learn from her example of deep faith. So let's begin by turning to, to Hebrews chapter 11. We'll start with, with what the author remembers about her here, and then we'll dive into her story. Let's pray together first. Father, as we open your word, um, Holy Spirit, meet us in this place that we too may, may grow and develop in our faith in you, that we might live by faith. Holy Spirit, speak, give us ears to hear, and it's your name we pray. Amen. If you remember last week, we were wrapping up kind of what Hebrews records about Moses, which was a lot, because if it was, it was uh, the Exodus and then the Passover and then the crossing of the Red Sea, all in a matter of like three verses, three major events. But since that time, uh, the people of God have now been led into the wilderness. If you remember the story, they, they don't handle that season perfectly. And as a result, there's disobedience. And God says that this entire generation is going to die in the wilderness before you enter into the land I've promised you. And so now we are at that place. It's been 40 plus years of the people wandering in the wilderness. God has raised up Joshua to lead them. And Joshua is at the Jordan River with the people of God ready to enter in to the promised land. This is where we pick things up in verse 30. He says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after being marched around by the Israelites for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, welcomed the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. So notice here that when it talks about her faith, it, 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 it cites two kind of elements of this. When it talks about Rahab, it cites the, her act of faith, and then it, it cites the outcome of her faith. It says that she welcomed the spies in peace. This is how she demonstrated her faith. This is how she lived by faith. And then it says that she didn't perish with those who disobeyed. The outcome, the result of this. And so flip with me to Joshua chapter 2. We're going to look more at her story here. Picking it up in verse 1. It says, Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two men as spies from the Achaia Grove, saying, go and scout out the land, especially Jericho. So they left, and they came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelite men have come here tonight to investigate the land. 
the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab and said, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, for they came to investigate the entire land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. So she said, yes, the men did come to me, but I didn't know where they were from. At nightfall, when the city gate was about to close, the men went out, and I don't know where they're going. Chase after them quickly. You can catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them among the stalks of flax that she arranged on the roof. The men pursued along the road to the fords of the Jordan, and as soon as they left to pursue them, the city gate was shut. See, Rahab's faith, it begins as a faith in the pursuer. It begins as a faith in, in the pursuer. I don't know if you've ever experienced this uh, yourself, but if you've had one of those moments where you've had something that you didn't know the value of what it was worth, like you didn't know what, what came through your door kind of thing. I saw a story of a, a, a Filipino fisherman who um, he found a rock and, and when he was fishing in the water and he just, just was like kind of an extraordinary rock. He brings it home, he puts it under his bed and he thinks it brings him good luck. And so for 10 years, this fisherman slept over this rock and 10 years later, his house burns down and they were cleaning through the rubble. They, they found the rock and somebody said, this isn't a rock, this is a pearl. In fact, it's not only a pearl, it's the largest pearl in history ever. It weighs over 25 pounds and is valued over $100 million. He was sitting under this, sleeping on top of this. For, for this is under his bed. Like, I am going to look under my bed when I get home and see what's there. But something that just comes to you of immense value that you're totally unaware of, unprepared for. Right? Rahab does not go seeking out these spies. It's not an encounter that, that she has planned out or that she fully understands, but it is an encounter that's going to transform her life. It's an encounter that's going to be her salvation. It is essential, I think, in our, our efforts to understand when we talk about the faith of Rahab, I th we would be remiss if we didn't start by recognizing the role of the sovereignty of God in this story, in her story. In verse 1, it states that Joshua sent out two spies into the land to kind of scout things out, to observe and obsess the situation. Um, they're preparing themselves to enter into the land. And then in verse 2, right, the king of Jericho says that they know they're in the land. Like, I don't know how good these spies are. If like verse 1, send in the spies. Verse 2, we know you're here. <laughs> but in their effort to remain hidden... They strategically go to a place where no one's going to pay attention to strange men walking through the door. They come to the, the home of a prostitute. It's in this encounter that it's this encounter that becomes the demonstration of Rahab's faith. When the king of Jericho now tracks these spies to her home and, and he confronts Rahab and asks her to turn these men over, this is a moment of decision for Rahab. And by any reasonable calculation of things, the, the decision is obvious. You, you turn over the spies. You, you become a hero among your own people. But she does exactly the opposite. 
In an act of extraordinary faith, Rahab covers for the spies and she sends the men who are searching for them out on this wild goose chase. James, uh, the Apostle James, who is the half-brother of Jesus, when he is teaching the church, if you remember back in James chapter 2, there's this uh, section there. It's, it's a highly studied section because it's almost, it's kind of controversial in some ways. But James is teaching the church about what faith looks like. How do we know that somebody has faith? And when he's doing this, he, he cites, again, Rahab as an example of, of, of real transformative faith, how it reveals itself. This is from James chapter 2, verse 25. He says, in the same, in the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route. So James's point, we're not going to dive into this this morning, but is that we can talk all we want about faith. If it's not revealing itself, if it's not made evident in the way that we live, he's questioning whether there's faith there at all. How do we know what Rahab believed about Yahweh? We know because of what she did. We know because she hid the spies. And it is Yahweh who has pursued her. I mentioned earlier when I was talking about this, this label that, that Rahab has carried, her story has tracked um, even all the way to James and to Hebrews. And I wonder if, if her being referred to as Rahab the prostitute, if, if there's more significance than this than just so we know which Rahab it is. So one of the most common depictions of God's redeeming love throughout the Old Testament is, is the idea of an unfaithful spouse or a prostitute being pursued and restored into covenantal relationship. Right? Israel, the, the, oftentimes the prophets in the Old Testament, when they're confronting Israel, when they're confronting idolatry among the people of Israel, they'll talk about it as their infidelity. Read the story of, of Hosea and Gomer. And see how God depicts this, this ever-pursuing, ever-faithful love of his bride. I don't, I don't know that Rahab the prostitute, when we hear that or we read that, I, I, don't, I don't think this is intended to be a label of, of shame that she carried with her, this thing that she can't shake. I think it's meant to serve as a reminder of that this is what God does, right? This isn't a chance encounter. This is a, a sovereign, loving God who meets Rahab where she's at. Yes, in, in her unfaithfulness, in sin, just as he does for us, just as he has done for me, right? If, if the story of Rahab somehow produces in us some kind of degree of moral superiority, I think we're entirely missing the point. Rahab's sin is not greater than ours, but her faith might be. Which is why I think both James and the author of, of Hebrews cite her as a model to us to pattern our lives after. Because she come to understand this is who God is. Jesus of himself, remember when he's teaching his disciples, describing his role, he would say in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he would say, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, the pursuer. The Apostle Paul in, in Romans chapter 8, when he talks about the pursuing love of God, or in chapter 5, verse 8, says this, he says, but God proves his own love for us 
And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's faith in the pursuer. But Rahab's faith is also a faith in the protector. A faith in the protector. I've told this story um, before. Some of you are familiar with it. Um, It may come as no surprise to you. When I was uh, in middle school, I was not among the cool crowd, per se. And and, um, in this one bus ride home on a, a morning, I was getting kind of just picked on and whatever, teased by these kids. But the, but the point where I got upset about it, and the, the part of the story I've told before is that um, when I got out of the bus and I got, my parents were away, so I was staying with my grandparents at this time. My grandma was there to pick me up. The bus dropped us off at the high school. My older brother who was in high school was already in the car. I get in the car and I'm, I'm clearly upset from it. And my grandma obviously is asking questions about what's wrong. I tell her I'm getting picked on and all this stuff. And then I happened to see the boys who were picking on me walking on the sidewalk. I said, those are the guys that were, that were messing with me. My grandma does like an inappropriate style U-turn, like where the tires are screeching and like the back end is swinging around. And she, she follows these boys. This is, this is probably illegal, so do, don't. And, and she pulls up alongside of him, and she tells my older brother, who's four years older than me, but he's, he's, always, he's just a big, strong guy. He's always been that way. She goes, I want you to go talk to those boys. <laughs> so my older brother gets out of the car, and I just, I'm sitting there in the back seat. Like with a, he's got both these kids lifted by their shirts off the air. And I don't know what he said to them. But I know that when I got back on the bus the next day, nobody was messing with me. <laughs> like there was this sense, like the, the part of the story that, that I haven't told before is that I didn't automatically, like nobody in the cool crowd was like, hey, come out and hang out with us. But there was this sense of like, you are under Scott Moore's protection. And, and we're not going to mess with that. Look again in, in, in Joshua chapter 2. Verse 8 now. It says, Before the men fell asleep, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and everyone who lives in the land is panicking because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sahon and Og, the, the two Amorite kings who who you completely destroyed across the Jordan. When we heard this, we lost heart, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now please swear to me by the Lord that you will also show kindness to my father's family, because I showed kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, mother, brothers, sisters, and all who belong to them. And save us from death. The men answered her, We will give our lives for yours. If you do not report our mission, we will show kindness and faithfulness to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, since she lived in a house that was built into the wall of the city. Go to the hill country, that the men pursuing you won't find you. And she said to them, Hide there for three days until they return, and afterward go on your way. The men said to her, we will be free from this oath you made us swear unless 
When we enter the land, you tie this scarlet cord to the window through which you let us down. Bring your father and mother and brothers and all your father's family into the house. So the decision that Rahab faced was clear. Who or what will I trust with my life? In who or in what am I going to trust my life? Is it a fortified city? which Jericho was famous for? Or will it be in the name of Yahweh? Who she knows, did you notice that? She recognizes, has given you this land. Rahab's heard the story. She's heard what God has done by, by his name. She, she heard what he did to free the people out of Egypt. She, if you notice that she even refers to him by the name given to Moses, by Yahweh. She heard what happened to the kings who threatened them when they were in the wilderness. And when faced with the question of in who or in what will I trust my life to, she comes to this conviction in verse 11. She says, For the Lord your God is God in heaven and on earth below. Rahab's faith for her salvation is placed firmly in this conviction. Yahweh, your, your God, Yahweh, is God. She's saying, I'm putting my faith, I'm putting my trust in Yahweh. He, he will be my protector. Notice the nature of how her, her faith is accessed here. The, the spies instruct her to tie a, scorl, a scarlet cord in her window. So just as Moses had instructed the Israelites to paint their doorposts with blood of, of a sacrificial lamb in order to be under the protection of God when judgment comes, so now Rahab is told to do the same. She says, this, is, this will be a marker of faith. And Rahab essentially becomes evangelist in many ways we, we don't know what this looks like she, we don't know what she said to her family but she understood that salvation resided in her home rescue resided there come come join me here come be in my home when the israelites come because this is where salvation resides this is where the protection of yahweh has been given to us join me here join me in this place marked by faith Rahab reminds me of, of the words of the psalmist in, in Psalm chapter 8. I think it's a pi picture of a, a faith in a protector who says, Yahweh is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock where I seek refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. This is, this is Rahab's conviction. This is her, her statement of faith. Yahweh, your God, is God in heaven above and on earth below. Yahweh will be my protector. Which ultimately then reveals that Yahweh is, is her provider. It's her faith in the provider. If you turn to Joshua chapter 6, it kind of gives us the rest of the story. If you're familiar with what unfolds, the the people of God, again, just like they did at the Red Sea, they crossed the Jordan River by an act of God. 
and they come to the city walls of, of Jericho and there's not a battle that ensues, there's not some strategic military plan. God has them march around the city for seven days and on the seventh day, they just shout out in words of praise and then God's, again, his righteous judgment is enacted on Jericho and the walls come down with the exception of Rahab's house. This is now in, in Joshua chapter 6, verse 22. After, after all this has happened, Joshua said to the two men who had scouted the land, go to the prostitute's house and bring the woman out of there and all who are with her, just as you swore to her. So the young men who had scouted went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother, brothers, and all who belonged to her, and they brought out her whole family and settled them outside the camp of Israel. Now jump down to verse 25. However, Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute, her father's family, and all who belonged to her because she hid the messengers Joshua had sent to spy on Jericho, and she still lives in Israel to this day. Again, the, the whole time that we've been talking as we've been looking at this series throughout Hebrews chapter 11. The, the point that we've been making is what is the object of our faith? And again, God reveals himself to be the God who is faithful. In the, in the midst of judgment and destruction, there is a scarlet cord of salvation in the house of Rahab. And note how this ends here. It says she still lives in Israel today. Right, this is more than just kind of a, a throwaway line to tie up the story of Rahab. Rather, it's, it's Rahab is, is revealed as one who has entered into the covenant family. She has entered into the people of Israel who's living in relationship with the saving God. She's adopted in. And again, her story doesn't end here. That, that scarlet cord of salvation, this is traced all the way from her conviction where she says, I believe that Yahweh is God in heaven above and on earth below. That, that, that line runs all the way through to King David and from King David all the way to the birth of Jesus. I mentioned that in the New Testament, Rahab is, is listed three times in James chapter 2, here in Hebrews chapter 11, but also in, in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew begins his gospel by providing a lineage to, um, of Jesus up through Joseph. It says, this is Matthew 1, verse 1, an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac fathered Jacob, and Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar, which that's, that's a whole story there. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Aram, and Aram fathered Abinadad. Abinadad fathered Nishan, and Nishan fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. So Boaz, by the way, if you read the book of Ruth, again, there's this incredible um, kinsman redeemer story. There's just redemption running through this whole thing. But it's another instance where a Gentile woman becomes in, enfolded into the family of God, becomes not only in the family of God, because in the line of David and, and ultimately of Jesus. Fathered, uh, Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered King David. 
Then flip over to verse 16. And Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Christ. See, Rahab's, Rahab's faith was in the God who protects and who provides. That provision would be made complete in her great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson, Jesus. What Jesus would accomplish in his life and what, when he would overcome the cross and, and walk out of that grave. See, for all of us who are here today, if, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, if, if the, the object of your faith for the forgiveness of sins is in the one who died on the cross and who has overcome the grave, if that's where you're at this morning, you are in the lineage, in the spiritual line of Rahab. She, she is, we are the fruit of her legacy of faith. We're a part of her story. She's cited two times by two different New Testament, New Testament authors of what faith looks like. We should know her story and follow her example. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for Rahab. We thank you for her story. We thank you for the way that you rewrote her story because that's the same work that you do in us. And so Jesus, we pray that like Rahab, we would acknowledge you as the God in heaven and on earth, the one who is worthy of our faith and whom we can trust our entire lives to for our salvation because that scarlet cord of salvation that runs through her story runs all the way up to us. We thank you for how she modeled faith to us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know what? Can I, can I have you grab a seat real quick? Because I want to do one more thing real fast, if we can. Uh, first, um, if you go out into the lobby, you'll see that there's a kiosk out there for our Stevens ministry. Um, Stevens ministry is a ministry that provides one-on-one -on -one care for people in, in difficult situations, going through difficult things, whether that's medical, relational, emotional. It's, it's somebody who's been trained up to walk alongside of you in that season in a one-on-one -on -one way. Um, if you're here this morning and you need that right now, can, I want to encourage you to stop by there. If you're here right now and you say, that's something that God has given me a passion for, given me a heart for, stop out at the kiosk, talk to Karen. She would love to tell you more about how to get involved um, the training that we do, it's, it's a thorough training, but it's an amazing ministry and it's a need in the church. And, and we don't want you to not take advantage of it um, when we need it in our lives. Um, the second thing I want to do is if you are a, a student uh, right now, um, elementary through college, um, or if you work in a school and in any of that same range, whether it's as a teacher, administrator, can I ask you to stand? For a moment. I know that for many of us, uh, school is, is getting kicked off this week, next week, soon. Can I just pray a prayer of commissioning over you all? I, I, I really think there's so many gospel opportunities in those hallways. And, and this is, you are very much a sent people. And I want you to know that you're being prayed for and that you're loved. And so I just want to, I want to pray a prayer of commissioning over you and then let's go eat some chicken and watermelon and fun times out at the Tates. Please join us there. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we, 
Lord, we lift up these students, these teachers, these administrators, these, these people that you have shaped and formed into the body of Christ. And Lord, they are in very many ways being sent immediately into the mission field. We should all view our lives this way, Lord, but there's such a tangible expression. So I pray that you would empower them to be the ambassadors of the good news of Jesus Christ as they demonstrate unconditional love to the people as around them, as, as they demonstrate and live out their faith in you. May it be evident, may people be drawn in, may they ask questions, and may they have the opportunity to give an answer for the hope that they have. Prepare them and equip them, protect them, watch over them. Lord, build your kingdom. In and through these students, these teachers, these admins, build your kingdom through our schools. Lord, may you use them in, in, in mighty ways. We look forward to hearing the stories. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you all. Have an amazing morning.